Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hey, hey everyone, it's Jeremy with Slay House Presents, and with me as always is Trevor. Hey Trevor. Hi. I'm here. <laughs> at least in body. In body. Uh, he embodies the... <laughs> the person I, who is the, here. The ideals of fiction. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That was weird. weird. Today we are continuing our discussion on craft and we're going to talk about setting. Ooh, all right. Now. That's that's, uh, when my wife brings out the the table dressing and. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's also what we're doing here in the podcast studio. We are setting. (laughs) That's like the worst (laughs) grammar imaginable. Wait, say it no (laughs) stools. We're just we're just setting up here. (laughs) We are we we set on stools and then we set up the booth and then we're gonna talk about setting. (laughs) Oh my god. Hey, these guys really are from Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like being Right at home. No, we are talking about setting. Setting, which applies to... Cakes? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Prose. Prose fiction. Prose fiction. Well, and and nonfiction, too, like creative nonfiction. They could use setting, like memoirs. Yeah, sure, why not? And biographies and that sort of thing. But we here at Slay House don't give a shit about memoirs and biographies. No, fuck those nerds. Fuck those nerds. The only biographies we like are the little brief biographies on the back of our books. I was, just, I was, I was talking to this guy, he, this guy who works for us. Uh, he's a, a historian, right? And I uh-huh. and I was he was I asked him, so, you know, what do you do in your spare time? And he's like, well, I like to read. And I was like, oh man, I love to read. Tell me what you're reading right now. He's like, uh, well, you know, I'm reading a biography about Abraham Lincoln, and I was like. Are you just a walking stereotype? Do historians read about anything other than Abraham Lincoln? I don't. I don't think they do. I feel like there are two. Like no, the the Abraham Lincoln or the Civil War or it, it it's like that the Civil War or World War Two or World War Two, which I I enjoy reading about World War Two. I mean, my grandfather is in World War Two. Every white man on the planet has read about World War Two. Yes. I like like every every white man. Yes, probably. Probably. I'm it, sure of it. It's like a rite of passage. It's like you hit 13 years old and all of a sudden you got to read about fucking World War II. Yeah, bonus well, points if you if you're reading about Hiroshima because that's the big thing that I think every 13-year-old boy sweats about. Yeah. Well, I was just interested because my grandfather fought in the European theater, so I, I was interested I mean, who, in like whose grandfather didn't fight in yeah. the European theme. Well, those whose grandfathers didn't come back from the war, I guess. Like they didn't. But their grandfathers still fought in the. In <laughs> but they the... didn't have grandfathers then, because they... well, the, but they did. <laughs> if, if 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 they, they had kids, if they, they had got, kids. If they got if, their wife, if you pregnant, have a grandfather, if they got their wife pregnant before they went off and got right, their yeah. their head blown off, <laughs> yeah, yeah, their grandfather still fought in in World War Two. Sounds like Kanye West needs to learn about oh my World God. War Two. Kanye West can shut the <laughs> all the way the fuck up. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, wow, I <laughs> that was a tangent. That was a that was a super long. <laughs> that was a tangent. Animated tangent. You didn't think out there in the the Slayhouse listener uh, well, world that we could go on a tangent that jokes, long? Uh, uh, jokes on them because the uh, entire hour. Guess of what? This episode, guess what? A, a, World War Two could be a setting for your book. Could be. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I actually, I'm glad you put that. I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I think we've talked about conflict before. And, uh-huh. and like, if, yeah. if, I think what I brought up during that conflict episode was like, if I ask you the conflict of like the Red Badge of Courage or the conflict mm. of, of All Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. tell me the conflict is like the Civil War or like the World War One yeah, or whatever, right. because that's not the conflict. It's the setting. That's the setting. Right. The conflict comes between characters. So what is setting then? Setting. You know, an interesting thing that I like to look about about setting, something that I think really puts it into perspective, the Back to the Future movies. Okay. All right. Yeah. I can buy that. Because Hill Valley, as a, as a place, doesn't change. He's always in Hill Valley, right? In every right. single movie. Yeah. The setting changes. Because we only think of setting, we think of like stage direction. Like, what does the place look like? Right. What does this area look like? Right, right, but right. But we don't take into account often enough the the in, the more intangible stuff. 
What's the right. What's the culture like? The culture. Who are the what people? What year is it? Yeah. Hill Valley in 1885 looks totally different from Hill Valley in 2015. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's totally an different from from 18 or 1985. Yeah. So so so. The setting is is something that encompasses all of this. It's the culture. It's the time period in which it happens. It's the set dressing. It's the mm-hmm, the clothing. Mm-hmm. It's the traditions. It's mm-hmm. all of this kind of plays the backdrop to to the setting. Yeah, I think for me, you know, setting to your point is important in in the set dressing sense. Yeah, but oh yeah, but, I'm not saying it isn't important. I'm just right. saying. That's usually where people stop, and right, we need right. to go beyond that, right? Like, and and what, I, right? And this is what sets your book apart, yeah, right, or your story apart. How yep. does the setting inform the characters or inform the conflict that uh, uh, you know kind of comes out of it? So I've been reading uh, Station Eleven by mm-hmm. Emily St. John Mendel. Now is this a Star Wars book? <laughs> this is not a Star Wars book for once. For once in my life, it's not a Star Wars book. Uh, I'm also happening. I'm reading the Jedi Quest books. Is that a Star Wars? Book? That's those are actual Star Wars books. Yeah. No, but but in in um, Station Eleven, I think setting is really important because she's she plays with two very distinct time periods: the mm-hmm. the before times and the after times of a giant pandemic that wipes out 99% of the population. It, yeah. it's, I don't know why that would be relevant <laughs> lately. I was going to say, is that, that, that yeah, that what, what's the relevant? We don't, we have no idea what that could be like. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no clue whatsoever. Yeah. Um, no, but, but it, it's interesting that she takes this event, right. As, as kind of like the, the dividing line between these two periods in time. And as a result, the setting is wildly, radically different. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, we're talking about the same general, you know, kind of location, um, the setting is different because it, a setting isn't just the one thing. It's not just the set dressing. It's what informs your characters' experience of the world. Right. Right. It, it is what shapes um, a lot of the conflict because we, we bring these kind of preloaded concepts into setting mm-hmm. so it's it's the culture right and setting when done right needs to be like its own character like it mm-hmm. needs to have its like the characters have to interact with right. the setting because it's it, it, exactly because it's informing the decisions being made yep. you know by your characters so right. strong setting isn't just you know oh well i've translated this uh, same old story that you've seen and uh, i put it in the wild west and now it's different it's like, no, you know, if it's set in the Wild West, then the Wild West has to have bearing. It has to have weight yeah. on the character decisions uh, and, and the way that, uh, you know, the story kind of shapes up, pans out. If it's if your setting isn't directly influencing the way that characters interact or the way that characters are making their decisions, it's not really very important. Yeah, and there are several. I know I mentioned like Back to the Future, but there are several. There are tons of books that do this. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars does it. <laughs> Star Wars. That's our answer to everything. Star Wars. Everything is fucking Star Wars. J.G. Uh, Ballard's The Drowned World. Oh right, yeah. Like which, I mean, everything. Which I I I just gave that book away because I was like, hey, I hate this book. Was that you? I saw it that in the, was me, the kitchen. Yeah. I saw the copy me. of it in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I I dumped a whole bunch of books in the kitchen that I was like, I'm never I'm never coming back to these. I'm never reading these again. Uh, so I may as well like try to you know see if if maybe there's uh, like a student out there who's like, oh, this looks interesting. So yeah, that was one of them. I mean, it's got. It's issues and it's got its problems, but yeah. it's a good example if we're looking at setting. It is a, like right. How well, characters I mean, the, are impacted. The whole the the whole point of that book yeah. is uh, the way that setting uh, changes, you know, man's experience so yep. much that it 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 evolution like like in terms of evolution, it changes the evolutionary track of man. Yeah, and they become fundamentally different beings. Uh, than you know this this kind of like pre global warming world, right? Um, so yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. That is a book that is uh, like like setting is at the forefront, right? The setting mm-hmm. is very important to understanding the action and the conflict of the novel. Yeah, Dan Simmons, uh, the terror. 
about oh the, yeah sure I mean they're they're just hunting for the the Northwest Passage they're they're up in the Arctic mm-hmm. they get hunted by a beast but before the beast even comes along these people are these men are mm-hmm. plagued mm-hmm. by the setting by I mean yeah. it's causing right. tons of conflict it's it's just I mean you can't escape it right 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 I mean yeah you it, never on any page forget that you are locked ice trapped in the Arctic with these men on these ships right. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we, we see uh, setting used that way in horror all of the time. Sure. I mean, one of the reasons of of placing uh, a character in a secluded area in the woods, you know, away from civilization or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, is often a plot tool, right, to limit the resources of the individual so that there aren't quick and easy answers to every conflict. Right. I just finished um, Laurel Hightower's Below. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> the setting is, like, instrumental for the whole thing. And then, mm-hmm. it, you know, you just feel for poor Abby all the way. <laughs> all the, like, I've been on those those kind of hilltop passes. I haven't been in probably the high passes like she was in in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, Or not the Rockies. She was in the Appalachians. Right, mm-hmm. she would have, she would have been in Virginia. I, so. I actually have uh, – this is to my great and utter shame – uh, it's like three books down my list right now. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she's... I haven't. I, I like I. I will finish it before twenty twenty two ends. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just around the corner. I'm trying to finish I out. I get it. My other uh, uh, TVR stuff. No, but I mean, but I, le- believe, I, I believe I believe the setting is the the Appalachians. That'd be yeah. the Appalachians with the in Virginia. Yes. So, right. So yeah, I mean they they play a consequential kind of role in everything that happens mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. And and her entire decision making one is plagued by like her ex husband who controls her, like who controlled her for so many years before she divorced him. And then two, um, just this scene she's been in. And if you've ever traveled mm-hmm. on like a mountain pass like those, even a, like the here in the Ozarks, we don't have full mountains like that. But I've been on some pretty mm-hmm. steep, you know, curves. Oh, I I have I, I grew up in the Rockies, right? <laughs> yeah, you grew so, up in the Rockies, so, so you yes, know. I absolutely know all about those. Yeah. Yep. I mean, all about. I I won't give anything away, but there is probably the number one of the number one primordial fears that I have faced traveling through like a, on a steep like incline like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. happens in the book and I'm just oh like oh fuck no no yeah too much <laughs> she's good at that she's yeah. good at finding the buttons to push yeah yeah I'm really excited about this book so that isn't really all there is to say about setting those so there that's kind of the 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 yeah. introductory course right. if you were if right. we were setting a table about setting right. <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there this is the yeah this is the uh, aperitif this yeah uh, huh <laughs> it's, it's, what I believe oh, that's okay. French uh, <laughs> we're gonna bring in enough foreign language into this series <laughs> we don't need to add to it um, <laughs> that is the appetizer. That's, that's it. It's like a weird one. It's, it's just English with a weird accent. Yeah, it's English with a French accent. Is the appetizer? Yeah. It's like Steve Martin doing his, like his it, Inspector Clouseau. It's like Steve Martin doing his Inspector Clouseau. Hamburger. Yeah. So moving on beyond just those basics, because that really is the basics. The next thing I want to get into is a term. Uh, codified, I don't know, is that the right, that's not the right word, like created, I don't know. Coined? S- coined. I don't, I, I have no idea. Your by, guess is as good by as mine T.S. Right now. Eliot. Um, yeah, I would say probably coined. Coined. Uh, by T.S. Eliot called the objective correlative. And oh God, it's back. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> the objective correlative. When did we talk about that before? Like a whole fucking season. <laughs> we did that for like a year. We did. So that means none of you should need an explanation <laughs> Prior- of what the fucking objective like, correlative is. Let's just assume is. that we're picking up some new listeners. and uh, uh, You're and in for it, folks. They don't, they don't know what the objective correlative is. <laughs> the objective correlative basically just says that the setting or that the description outwardly mimics the interior. Right. So the outward in- mimics or mirrors the interior. 
And good setting does this. You know, it's there's mm-hmm, a reason mm-hmm. it's a dark and stormy night. Right. But not just good setting. I think good description in general does this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's, read. It sets the mood. It sets the yeah. tone. You know, it's uh, we've. Ta- I I feel like I've mentioned this when talking about the objective correlative. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's like it's like when you go and you sit down for a a, a rosy dinner with the wife. You know, you probably. Uh, don't want to be playing like Megadeth <laughs> or something. You know, you probably want something a little smoother to set the mood. <laughs> Reflect I, what's go- what, what your aim is. I'll never forget the day my aunt got married because we were all ushers like on that side of the family. Uh-huh. And of course, my, my now uncle, you know, he had his like family that were his groomsmen and his uh-huh. best man and stuff and all that. And But we were like all the ushers. And I remember walking like we were in the procession walking people down the aisle to seat mm-hmm. them you know mm-hmm. and um i walked back and i'm walking like with my aunt my other aunt my my elder aunt and uh no wait no wait i wasn't walking with her she met us outside because um my uncle my dad's brother my aunt's my the one getting married the bride's uh brother um so the, that's the trifecta of siblings right there um dad brother and uh, sister okay and so yeah so so I, as as i'm leaving um my uncle my dad's brother turns to me and he says he says it sounds like a goddamn funeral dirge and i busted up laughing because they had hired a string quartet and the string quartet was not only late but they showed up drunk at, at the wedding and they started playing a funeral march instead of like the, instead, of what? instead of wedding bells wow what a way to set the tone <laughs> right <laughs> i my my wife and i uh when we got married uh our our exit song was the uh star trek theme <laughs> Which I think was perfect. Yeah. Did you, somebody was there with a theremin, like playing? Uh, the... I wish we didn't have theremin money. You know, uh, we had. Uh, I can find it on my iPod money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that theremin money, you know, that's some big money right yeah, there. You gotta, you gotta buy the theremin. Yeah, which I'm sure is at a minimum fifty dollars. I don't actually somebody. know how much. I'm, I'm. That's a joke. I don't know how much. We are going to get so much hate he, mail. Yeah. Like then it was he, on Reverb, and, <laughs> and they said the theremin cost five hundred dollars. Like <laughs> asshole. Well, who's going to teach you how to play it? <laughs> a really good Stradivarius theremin. <laughs> <laughs> Stradivarius. That's the Fender Stratocaster of theremins. Uh, <laughs> it was made by. This one was signed by. Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> it's a happy little theremin living right here. It's <laughs> <laughs> wrong. It's the wrong Bob. Oh, it is. I did Bob Ross. <laughs> he goes Bob Marley, and I go Bob Ross. <laughs> Bob uh, Marley would never touch a theremin. <laughs> 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 uh, <that's, laughs> this is DJ Khaled's <laughs> theremin over here. Oh, oh my God. let's stop on that. Oh my God, we went on a theremin tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much this late in the day. <laughs> well, you just said you were only up for like fourteen hours, like at <laughs> so work. I worked, I worked a fourteen-hour shift yesterday. Jesus Christ! It's no. too much. I'm 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 ready when I'm like it's like five hours in, and I'm I like, know. okay, <laughs> got to go home and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> My five hour shift See, is up. Folks, I was built to be the CEO of a major <laughs> business. So <laughs> like, I put in four hours of work today. It's I'm going to go hit the links. It's and... more work than Elon Musk is doing. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you that. I don't know. With the way everyone's quitting Twitter, <laughs> yeah. he might be forced to like. He's <laughs> <laughs> the only person. Uh... Um. Shit, what were we talking about? We were talking about setting. Setting. I knew we were and, talking and the, about and setting. And the importance of the objective correlative. And the importance of the objective correlative. Yeah, so so you want the exterior to kind of mirror what's going on with the interior. So a lot of times, like if we if we look at, say, like Edgar Allan, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but if we look at like Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, right? That's where he's been this whole time. It, it's hurt. It's, <laughs> it's been painful. That raven's beak. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, let me tell you. Um no. <laughs> yeah, I no, you're right. Yeah. Follow the House of Usher is Follow is, the House uh, of Usher is a great is, and it's a perfect symbolic representation of the objective. And King Solver does a good job with, oh, with yeah. mirroring this and um and where the or how the how the deadly how the dead move. What moves the what dead. moves the dead? Fuck. I almost yeah. had that. 
Yeah, that's a great book. And that, folks, is an example of why you should actually script this stuff instead of just taking brief <laughs> notes. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, we get this external turmoil in the the structure and the architecture of the house, of the house itself, and yeah. on the land surrounding yeah. it and just it falling apart. Yeah. And it correlates with the destruction of this two siblings right. who are the last of this line right. of family, this yeah. usher. Oh, shit. I hit something. Yeah. It's um, the same with Shirley Jackson. She does this, yeah. too. And Shirley in, Jackson uh, does House, this. Hill House. Yeah. I or mean, or, or uh, 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 whatever. Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House. House of Hill House. House what of is, Hill House. What would that be? That'd be the House of I, Hill House. I think House. I'm getting confused with, like, all of the house books that I've read or are on the horizon. I think my flightiness is just rubbing off on you. Oh, like maybe you're finally know. just like succumbing to the madness that I is Jeremy. I gave away Hell House, by the way. That was another book. I you did. gave away Hell House? I did. I hate that book. Richard Madison. Uh, oh, I'm yeah, never, yeah, I'm yeah. never going to keep that book. Yeah, we did a whole episode on that. We did. And how much I hate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. And I've still got the Michael McDowell book that I bitched about in that same episode. <laughs> I'm like, I can't just give away a book. I, I don't know. I need to. Um, so, yeah. So. So the objective correlative really needs to mirror. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up about that was that in a similar kind of vein, maybe this isn't the objective correlative, but when authors write descriptions or imagery, even physical descriptions of characters, and we mm-hmm. see that that mirrors, like, um, what did we read? We read the uh, the the unnatural tales of Sherlock of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the captain of the Pole Star. Right. And the captain is described as having these wild, kind of maniacal yep. kind of looks, and yep. everything that we're described with with the captain mirrors yeah. what's going on inside of him. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that can also work uh, to great effect. You know, for for stuff like irony. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, of uh, Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but the the, the, the actual uh, dark academy, right? The, yeah, yeah. the one with uh, when the 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 twins get kidnapped by uh, an evil Jedi who takes them to their his dark academy uh, to teach them the dark side of the Force. We covered this in yes. in Star Wars Update 1996. I'm just helping you and our audience remember. Yeah. Um, uh yeah the the leader of that dark academy is is like an evil Luke Skywalker. Yeah. He he's like he's like handsome in kind of a classical sense um and and he's like charismatic so nobody would believe that he'd be super evil, right? Um but that's kind of the 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 again like by giving him kind of this personality uh it it can create kind of a uh, a distance between like good Luke Skywalker, like real actual Luke Skywalker, right? I thought he was kind of handsome. Like, Luke, Luke, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying the evil I mean, Luke Skywalker is even like, more he, handsome. He looks, yeah, he looks like uh, Luke Skywalker, but he's bad. He's evil, and okay. I, I think, I think, like it plays. But a, did Leia kind kiss of him too? No, because uh, she was married to Han Solo. Why would what? she? Why would she make out with? I mean, why would she make out with her own brother? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'd George like an Lucas, to that too. <laughs> George Lucas, huh? We'll never you know. had the whole thing planned out, and we'll you still know. have him kiss. I don't buy it. Um, Let's save that for the next Sours <laughs> update. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then there's something called the descriptive pause, which we don't see much anymore. So the descriptive pause is really kind of a craft idea, and that is when the entire story stops mm-hmm. for the writer to. And and I think we see this more. Um, so it's it's when the entire it's story kind of old, stops. It feels to me a kind, like a kind of old school, yeah, uh, technique. Well, and it but it leads me to the thing that I want to talk about with setting next, and that's where is and when is too much. Like we have so the descriptive pause is something. Let me go back and, and just kind of define it first. So the yep. descriptive pause is something that we would see in older and antiquated kind of books. Um, it's something where the story almost in its entirety stops for the narrator to come in and describe to you almost ad nauseum sometimes mm. the setting, mm-hmm. what's going on in this kind of area. And I feel like we don't always see it as much anymore because we're, we have alternative medium media. Interesting. Like, like I still see the descriptive pause. We see it some, but, but it's I, changed. I, I think that it, rather than having like pages long, you know, kind yeah. of these descriptive breaks, 
Um, I think we see them uh, kind of intertwined a little bit with the narrative, a li- like yeah. so that it, it becomes a little bit less visible. Yeah. And I still think it happens. Oh, and, it does. And usually, yeah. it's like a you know a paragraph of of quick you know a sketch of of or an outline of of uh, the setting before yeah. we get back into you know the the real uh, meat and potatoes. Right, and authors are doing a better job nowadays of inter acting with that setting in that descriptive mm-hmm. pause mm-hmm. so it does it feels less visible yeah. no i absolutely agree with you i don't i don't i don't want to argue that it's gone away i want to bring it up because yeah. it is still there right and it is important as the author to kind of when you're look, going through a book if you're like mm-hmm. if you're like trying to to hopefully those of you out there who are listening to this and really enjoying this and what i tell my students to do is when i want you to look for something like the descriptive pause and you you search mm-hmm. through a story for it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Find out how it's being used and how it kind of appears yeah. in more of a modern text versus something like, say, Dickens, or right. Oh my gosh, Dickens is is the one that comes to mind. Or as, Austin, Jane as, Austen oh, does it. Gosh, yeah. Like those and, two, and I find those two exhausting as a result, right? Because of it. But what happens with those two is that we didn't have television, we didn't have movies, so they go yeah. to these links to describe these there's things. A, there's not as as uh, direct a frame of reference. Yeah, but you're right. But what we don't need to see in setting anymore is this ad nauseum detail of what somebody's, say, fucking bedroom looks like, right? I don't need to know mm. that there's a bed and a dresser and a nightstand. I mean... And let, well, okay. unless, you know unless. What? This brings up a very good point. I feel like, uh, when do we talk about Chekhov's gun? Yes. Right? Like, there's this, this idea, if you've never heard of it, Anton mm-hmm. Chekhov, who is this uh, uh, literary great of Russian literature, mm-hmm. um, he kind of said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the exact words, but the idea is that if you showcase in your description of something mm-hmm. a gun, yeah. Then that gun needs to be fired. Yes. Right? At some point in time it should it should uh have some action, yeah. right, in the narrative. It should have some consequence. So if you come in to paint a scene and you're going to studiously describe to us all of the different elements of this person's room, for mm-hmm. example, we better have a damn good reason for it. Yep. We better have a reason why you point out the four-poster bed or whatever. Yep. Sometimes it's for atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we. I don't want to dis. You know, uh, discredit atmosphere or atmospheric writing, but you have to be careful about what elements you include and not overwhelm your reader with unimportant dribble. Yeah, I mean, if you sit there and tell me that a. <clears throat> And there's actually terms for that beyond Chekhov's gun. It's There are some terms that I'll get into in this. Um, and I'm glad you brought them up because I do mm-hmm. want to jump into them. But what I really want to say before I do that is if you tell me, like, you know, the grandmother has a quilt on her bed that I don't mm-hmm. care because how many of our right. grandmothers have quilts on the bed? But if you tell me the grandmother has a quilt and on the quilt has been, like, hand-sewn a hemp plant <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, this grandmother could be kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, if she's got. Yeah, I, I, again, I feel like, uh, like what, wh- that what says does your something about the character? Yeah, exactly. What does your description contribute to the story? So, what, and, and and to that, yeah, when we're talking about setting, especially, yes. Yeah. And, and so, what you need to think about when you're thinking about these these choices, what do I mention? What do I illustrate within the setting? Is no. just what Trevor is talking about here with Chekhov's gun, and that's. Three things you need to, to to basically catalog everything that you've written. And, and this is, again, a lot of this is in like post or in like revision or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you need to think about three things. One, significant detail. What is significant to the character? What yes. is significant to right. the story? Yep. What is um, really important for us to understand the scene and, and what's going on right here? Yeah. Versus insignificant detail, which is like right. – do I need to know that there's a fucking nightstand if right. or what the nightstand Do looks like? Do I care like. about what color? Yeah, I don't care it's mahogany. I don't care that it's got <clears throat> one drawer. I don't care, you know, yeah. unless it's going to come into play like Ch- like Trevor yeah. was saying later. You unless know. it comes into play or unless it, it informs the kind of character exactly. uh, that we're dealing with. And then you have significantly insignificant detail. So those are things that are also kind of like Chekhov's gun where it's like, I'm dropping this here right now, 
and it comes into play maybe 200 pages later. Right. But um, it's something that you might gloss over and be like, why the fuck did he mention that or she mentioned that, the yeah. writer. I, I feel like I do – I don't have an example off the top of my head. I, I feel like I do run into these though. Yeah. Uh, where it seems like it's pretty innocuous. But I <laughs> I, I, I see it and I say mm, – Either uh, this is bullshit right here, or uh, I I I think I've figured out what just happened. So you know what? Actually, no. This is yeah. uh, S. A. Barnes does this. Yeah. In um in uh her novel Dead uh, Silence. Dead. Uh, yes. Thank you. Dead Silence. I I love that book. I don't. I don't. Well, <laughs> I do know why. I'm sleep deprived. That's why yeah. I can't come up with the title off the yeah. top of my head. Um, no, but she does this great. Uh, there's there's uh, <laughs> there's like a little hint that's dropped I, somewhere in like the middle of the book um, that is explicitly what the whole mystery is. Yeah. Um, but you don't know to, you know, you don't notice it until later on. Yeah. You, you know, later on it comes back around and it's like, oh, I understand what she was doing there now. I hate to go to movies, but damn it if. Mike Myers doesn't crack me up because he understands this stuff. And, and even some of his more, you know, worst movies or whatever, he still has a good eye for this. But I think about <laughs> – I hate to go to – I, w- I want a book reference for this. But, but I think about um, Wayne's World 2 when Wayne pulls his car up and there's these guys and, and he's like, what are you guys doing? And one guy's like, well, you see them? They're carrying this plane of glass across the street just back and forth. And he's got a, a – thing of watermelon sitting here and this guy's got you know another stand of fruit and Wayne kind of looks at the camera and goes I think this might be significant later in the story. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like it's like it's like it's like okay yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe hang on to and that. it does it's like that big car chase yeah. scene at the end he slams through the glass and like or drives yeah, through the glass course, and drives right. yeah, you know all, bust the watermelon gotta, and it's all gotta come back around <laughs> you know what is the antithesis of this what's that Star Wars. <laughs> I was just, I was just, <laughs> I was just, uh, I was just reviewing like a, a takedown of of the rise of Skywalker and how nothing in that movie is consequential. <laughs> nothing in that movie pays off. It's just a whole bunch of bullshit. It's the worst movie ever. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's a t- it's the worst Star I hate, Wars. I ever. hate all those sequels. I I, hate. I, I I can I can almost forgive the middle one, uh, the Ryan Johnson one. I can almost forgive it because it's glad so, you can so much more original than some of the other stuff. Everything else just and and even stuff in that middle one, I just fucking hate. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I repeat, can't stand them. I did not wait thirty years to watch these characters come back on screen and all of them die. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know, sorry. I just, I, I also, I didn't wait. And now James thirty Mang- years to go watch those movies. Yeah, they're yeah. terrible. Oh fuck. Yeah. And now, and I know James Mangold doesn't didn't do a Star Wars, but I know also he did Wolverine, and I know he's tackling Indiana Jones five, and he's like, I want to talk about. He just did an article on this. I want to talk about like Indiana Jones and like where he's at in this stage of his life. And I'm like, you fucker! If you he's kill like Indiana years Jones, old. if you kill Indiana Jones, I know he is, and I know eventually Indiana Jones is going to die. But if you kill him off in this movie, I'm going to fucking boycott you. Like I hate you. I hate to break it to you. Don't kill off Indiana That's Jones. Probably going to happen. Don't fucking. There's only a finite number of movies Harrison Ford can make. He doesn't have to make any more. Just let him go off in the sunset and spend the rest of his days with Marion. And the sunset created by the atomic bomb that he escaped in a in the fridge. fridge. Well, we don't have to talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> we could we could stop everything with Last Crusade. I mean, I'm fine with that. But I I hold I hold in my in the in my de- the dearest part of my heart. That there have only ever been two good Indiana Jones movies, and we'll never get another one. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, which had some amazing scenes, it was an incredible movie. And uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Yep, I no, agree. you're wrong. It's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> see, see, people. Tri- this is how sleep deprived Trevor is. Um, <laughs> he thinks Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a good movie. So there's a couple other terms I want to talk about. Um, the mock heroic, when we give pedestrian objects ordinary or kingly kind of uh, uh, importance. Oh, yeah. Kind yeah. of in like uh, 
good old uh, Durandal. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, isn't, that, isn't that Durandal? Isn't that uh, fucking Rollins' sword? Oh, yeah, maybe. I fe- I'm, again, I'm sleep deprived, so maybe <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, but like, I feel like that's all song, song of Roland, right? Like everything is, is fucking um, mighty. Like the swords have names because yeah. they're so important, right? Well, Excalibur had a name. I'm pretty sure it's, right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Durandal. Yep. That's his, his sword's name. And kind of, I would say it's not direct antithesis. To uh-huh. this, so uh-huh. antithesis to this. Uh-huh. Well, that's uh-huh. a fun little yeah. three words. Antithetical. Um, sure, I could say that. Whatever. But whatever. Um, estranging. Um, this idea of defamiliarizing and taking a common object and uh-huh. showing it through a different lens, so it's almost unrecognizable. Oh, very interesting. So uh, I feel like that's done um, by Julio Cortázar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've talked about his fiction before. I mean, just in passing on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't done like a like a real episode uh, showcase of, I don't think of we some have. of his work. Um, but one of his uh, one of his stories, um, I think it's La Noche Boca Arriba, is about this everyone guy. got that. Yeah. Um, this this guy he like undergoes a, a motorcycle crash or something, and he he ends up like hallucinating back through the ages uh, hmm. to believe that he's being hunted by the Aztec uh, oh, wow. I, as they are uh, about to sacrifice him to the sun God. And so he continues to hallucinate back and forth between these two periods of time where he suddenly can't recognize the things in the universe, like in his contemporary world. Mm-hmm. So stuff like uh, like metal birds, you know, or or like um, I think he describes a motorcycle as like a um, like a, a screaming bug or you know a, a silver bug or something like that, this um, mechanical insect or whatever, and and so he he um, he kind of alienates his character if you will through mm-hmm. the, the narration, and you you kind of have to piece together what it is that he's like imagining. Um, through these hallucinations. It's a really cool story. That is cool. That sounds really... Yeah, yeah. we need to talk about him. We need to, to read some of his Dude, stuff. Dude, his stuff's so good. Yeah, we yeah. need to talk about his stuff. Um, uh, but I think that's a really great uh, example of that, you know? Yeah. This kind of misunderstanding of what we're seeing in front of us. And I think... Right. I think and, and the way that it, it contributes to the story, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and to the story, to the characters, right. to, to whoever. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that says a lot, too, about a character, you know, and their kind of interactions with what's going on around them if mm-hmm. they can't, you know, they all of a sudden can't yeah. recognize yeah, they're, they're, specific objects. Yeah, and, but also, I mean, changing the frame of reference, too, uh, I think is, is really interesting. And that's a fun... If you guys have tried that yet it's a fun activity to like try and take something that you are very familiar with and to try and describe it in a way that would be unfamiliar it's very difficult it is extremely difficult it requires a a tremendous uh effort yeah i think yeah um and then finally god this is greek (laughs) it's all greek to me (laughs) this term thisness which comes from the greek I'm going to butcher that. I even, I wrote the word out phonetically. Like I spelled the word <laughs> as it's spelled and then I wrote it phonetically so that I would not mispronounce I'm not, it. I'm not even going to try. Um, Hexidus. Sure. It, it almost sounds like I'm saying pixie dust. <laughs> but I'm a Hexidus. 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 I have no idea. So stay with me. This is kind of complex, this definition. The thisness. Thisness. Okay. Um, thisness is so much easier to say. That's what we're going to say from now on. Right. But it's based on this this idea of hexidus. Um The quality, property, or characteristic of, of a thing which make it a particular thing, um, but which also kind of lend it an air of uniqueness or draw it into its own... Um, uh, its own kind of makes you aware of it because of its own uniqueness. So it's a thing, it's it's an object, and it's probably commonplace, but it also draws it to its own uniqueness. So it's saying that this is... Are we talking about lightsabers over here? No, we're not Damn mentioning... It. We're talking about Heart of Darkness. See, I go for the classical <laughs> books 
this was a joke we were going to do, but it, wonderfully we get to use it in our craft series. We talk. I talk about classical books. And I'm over Connor, here. And he's the, mentioning Star the Wars. Po- the pop culture dumpster. So there was a description of a man's boot filled with blood, um, or another character was impaled by a spear and he was gripping it like something precious. And in the way those two items are described uh, throughout Heart of Darkness, uh-huh. it's an example of thisness because you know everyone's seen a boot, but we have this kind of mm. uniqueness of the mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. It's almost a bit of defamiliarizing or estranging uh, with mm. the boot because the way the boot's described is almost something is alien. But um, mm. a better another example. I'll throw out a few examples so that was, people really get uh, yeah, a good idea. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I, it has taken me forever to wrap my head around this yeah. until I got some good examples. It's, it's not like like uh, William Carlos Williams with like the the uh, uh, the red wheelbarrow. The red wheelbarrow. Yeah. Um, that's. I don't know why that's where my my brain goes. No, I think I think that would be an, an interesting comparison. I think that could be thisness. Um, another uh-huh. example that I have is uh, from Madame Bovary, where she takes her- I fucking hate that book. I know you hate that book. Don't bring Flaubert into this. Flaubert is all over this, unfortunately. There is more Flaubert to come. (laughs) I have not- (laughs) There's there's Flaubert's flaneur. (laughs) There is more Flaubert to come. Uh, no, Madame Bovary, there's a scene in the in Madame Bovary where she's looking at her shoes and she detects mm-hmm, the wax mm-hmm. on her shoes uh-huh. and the wax brings back this palpable kind of memory uh-huh, of when right, she was yeah. dancing with one of her lovers. Uh-huh. And so here we've got a very common kind of object uh-huh. that isn't Evokes just- like a strong emotional connection? Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And invo- and it, it also sets this object so apart. So this is not like slippers like everyone has slippers. This right. is something you can identify with and say, "Oh, here's the uniqueness so is, about it." Is it it's almost like the uh, the the emotional weight of of mm-hmm. something, you know, uh, kind of conveying meaning through the thing's very use yes. usage use. Yes. Okay. And it is it it at once um Draws attention to itself as it does, kind of uh-huh. puffs that out. Like it, right. it, it, it lends itself to something greater. Right? Uh, I see. Okay. So like, uh, oh here, here's I one. Mean, here's one. All right, I've got it. I've like, got it. Like, if you like, don't like, like the, the hunter with the knife, right? Yeah. Like the like the knife. You live and you die by the knife. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you don't like Flaubert? What about James Joyce? <laughs> Surely you can identify with James Joyce. With every pretentious <laughs> like, grad school lit read. I know. God damn you, Jeremy. Um, no, Joyce does this with Stephen Daedalus in, I think it's in Dublin. No, not Dubliners, a portrait of an artist um, where uh-huh. he meets a guy that like his hands were like gnarled and crippled because he was like a cobbler. Mm-hmm. And he'd mm-hmm. worked on like these shoes for the queen. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. this was something again. It's it's drawing attention to itself while like lending itself to something greater, uh-huh. right? It's Anakin's lightsaber. Okay. <laughs> it's Star Wars. <laughs> again, folks. It's Anakin's yeah. It's Anakin's lightsaber. <laughs> sure, it's Anakin's lightsaber. Um, <laughs> I think another. I, it's I not, heard this. It's not just about the the lightsaber, right? When Luke picks right. up, the, it was his father's lightsaber. Yeah, it's the representation of the hopes and dreams he has of becoming this great hero in an intergalactic conflict, right? Yeah. Because he's just a farm boy, and then he finds this relic of his father's past. I think it's funny that in those first three movies, we're like, see Luke, and he's like, my dad was great, my dad was the best, <laughs> and then we actually <laughs> see him. My dad was in the, Hitler, and we see him in the prequel, and and Anakin's like, me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pissed. Now I'm gonna throw a tamper. He gets cramp. a. He gets a. He gets a pass for me. <laughs> I mean, I love the. I still love the prequels. I mean, I, I don't I, care. I, but... <laughs> I like unapologetically. I think the prequels are great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not. Say, <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm not saying that they don't. You know, clearly have their shortcomings. But I think in terms of of the thematic message of those prequels, oh, perfect, yeah. spot on. Absolutely, love them. Absolutely. Uh, I think the one that that jumps out at me, and I hate to bring up Stephen King again. Um, hey, why not? But, I've been talking Star Wars this whole time. But I was on the that drive. Remember, I was going to, I was listening to it on audiobook uh-huh. as I was driving yeah. up to my brother's right. wedding, mm-hmm. and I texted Trevor in the middle. I'm doing like 80 miles on the interstate, and yeah. I'm like texting, texting Trevor while I'm. <laughs> well, so, you know, when you're driving through Southern Illinois, you 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 just hope. 
it's no it's no Western Kansas. You just hope you crash. <laughs> it's no Western Kansas. You hope you crash your car so something interesting happens. <laughs> I mean, I will never forget. My mother looks at me and she's like, "Is Western Kansas like Southern Illinois?" And no, I'm like, it's "No, worse. there's <laughs> no corn stalks." You have something at every I'm exit saying, here. I'm just saying. There's trees. My vision of Take Catholic, all of that away. My vision of Catholic purgatory is Western Kansas. <laughs> but I'm driving, and in it, uh, we see uh, Richie, I believe it is, um, one of the characters of it, one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of his story at this point. And he comes upon the female in the group, the girl in the group, Beverly. And this is when they're children. He'd already met her. He already knows her. But this particular day when he sees her, he sees her and she has this bruise on her cheek. And this Mm. bruise calls attention to itself. But it also lets him see. And King almost uses the very definition of thisness in his description of what goes Mm. on here. Mm -hmm. But it allows Richie to see her transcend from just this really, you know, good looking young girl that's, you know, his Mm -hmm. age Mm -hmm. into the beautiful woman she will become, this abstract beauty. And that bruise kind of does that for him, which you would think that's kind of an odd thing, but it mm-hmm. makes it, it almost makes her stand out a little bit more and almost kind of reveals, you know, something deeper within her. Mm. And that's a good definition, I think. And those are good examples. I think yeah. all of them are thisness. It's this kind yeah. of, you know. Maybe Anakin's <clears throat> lightsaber isn't thisness. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe it is. It, maybe it's, I mean, maybe it is and maybe it, it isn't. It could be that just the heroic object. It could, well, it's definitely the mock I mean, heroic. Yes, yeah. or the mock heroic. Yeah, 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 definitely the mock yeah, heroic. For sure. Um, you know, I could get into a whole thing about like text world theory and like talking about like, um, like how we need to pay attention to. There, there's some terms for this, and I don't have them with me, and I'm sorry for that. We don't really need to get into it, but it's like text world theory delves into this idea of like. You as the reader, time is passing differently than time is passing on the state yes, on the yes, page. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, that's right. <clears throat> and it even, I mean, even to take it a step further, I mean, time passes passes differently on the page than it does, say, if you're watching a movie adaption of that exact same right, scene. Right, right. Yeah, it does. I, I, I liken this to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, sure. I <laughs> go with me. Hear me out. <laughs> Because we're done with Star Wars for now, folks. Yeah, we're on <laughs> no, to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, yeah, so in, in a game of D and D, right? When mm-hmm. you're playing with different characters and you enter into combat, um, you go through like combat is taken up by like individual rounds, mm-hmm. right? And uh, a round of combat is actions that uh, a particular character will take, you know. On their turn, so so sure. right. So combat is broken up to rounds, which are broken into turns, and each character in the in the the battle in the combat has a turn. Yeah. So whether they're the, the the enemy or the the you know the hero characters, the hero party, right? Um, they each take their turns, and at the end of a round of combat, which can take forever sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Like in real world time, it can take you. You know, ten. I've I've been in a round of combat mm-hmm. that took thirty minutes, because of like how intricate all of these different actions are. But right? if it were to visually play out in front of you, it wouldn't take thirty minutes. It would not. And and the idea is that in in game time, mm-hmm. if there were such a thing, right, a round of combat is six seconds. Yeah, six seconds of time. Right. Yep. So all of the the crazy maneuvering that we do you know with these characters in a round of combat of D is six seconds of diegetic time yep right edgar wasn't it edgar cantero that wrote um uh, the, the, those meddling kids those meddling kids yeah he does that a lot throughout his book where he's describing in detail physical like scenes mm-hmm. physical you know fight scenes right. and action and stuff yeah and if you were to watch that, it would not take you near as long to read it as it no. would to watch it. No, I Brandon Sanderson uh, yep. to go, you know, dive into fantasy. Uh, he's got these elaborate, elaborate action scenes mm-hmm. uh, that are chapters long in yeah. some cases, uh, and those, you know, it's like the the snap of a finger. Really, I mean, if if you were to visualize, you know, a fight or choreograph a fight like that. It might only be a couple minutes long. But that's a good point. It's not just about choreography. It's also about scene setting and description. Right. You know, that old yeah, adage, a picture exactly. is worth a thousand words. Um, it's true. It's I mean, pretty, it's why. Pretty true, yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like 
Muschietti's interpretation of Stephen King's It through those two movies uh-huh. was he changed some things, but everything was basically still spot on. He uh-huh. kept all the detail that needed to be kept, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And yet those movies put together are like, what, almost six hours, the two of them? I mean, they're long. Uh, they are long. I, yeah, I, I don't... But the audio... They might be actually close to six hours. You're right, yeah. But the audio book was 45 hours to listen uh, right. to? <laughs> right. And that's... I mean, and I only hey, mentioned right, listening... That's, that's, you know, you, you, you take a lot out of a story to represent yeah. it in a... You do. In a, a film medium where... But there's know, so much more, like, instead of, like, describing in detail, like, what this house looks like or what this yeah. looks like, you can just show us. And then right, yeah. that takes pages and pages out. And I think and, there are benefits to both. Oh, you know, yeah, there right? absolutely I are. I mean, there's absolutely a reason why uh, so many people talk about the the book being better than the movie, right? Sure. Because the mediums are so radically different. Well, your imagination gets to do a lot more work with the book. Oh, uh, yeah, you, of course. You know, yeah. you don't have so many things just given to you. You have to yeah, envision you, you it. kind of work for it, yeah. Um, I know you don't like audiobooks, but I do because it almost allows me that that extra space to like sit there and relax and I can just let my mind go. Yeah. One, I'm also studying craft. I, I feel like I'm studying it better when I listen to an audiobook than I'm reading. Yeah. I I I don't I don't I've never been formally uh diagnosed with ADHD. Right. I think though that I probably have ADHD. Mm. Uh Without, you know, like being, and I'm, I'm not saying that because I want like attention or something. It's yeah. just, um, I think the reason audiobooks don't work for me is, is that I get bored just yeah. very, very quickly. And so, uh, an audiobook just doesn't hit me the same way <laughs> as reading because yeah. I, I can, you know, go on that imaginative journey. So, either way, I think. The book is still. I think a lot of ways the book is still better than the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But with a, with regards to setting, that's why I think we see some of those differences. You're right. In a book like it, they're going to take yeah. a lot of stuff out. Right. They didn't have the child gangbang sex scene. Oh, at thank the God. End of, of the second. Of oh this. yeah. Now hold on. Does that not change the entire <laughs> denouement? You know the entire meaning of I've, significance of the book. I've read the book. Earlier, I've listened to the audiobook. I've watched mm-hmm. the movies. I have no fucking clue what the point. I, I think st- King was deep in his cocaine at I the time. Still, he was like, <laughs> I still hold that uh, it makes no goddamn sense. It makes and, no sense. And these are some of the issues that I have with King that continue to persist even to this day. <laughs> I'm not saying he's got child gangbangs in every book, but I am saying <laughs> he weirdly sexualizes way too much of his narration yeah 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 and the uh yeah I was, i'm listening to one today it's an older book of his it's actually one he says he hates because it was like the last one he wrote when he was still on drugs and drinking uh-huh. which one was that uh tommy knockers oh okay and he's got this guy and this girl that are supposed to be friends and the guy looks over at the girl sleeping and he's like he has to describe like she sleeps naked except for a pair of pajamas her little breasts like right there and i'm like <sighs> Why do we need to know Why this? Why do we I mean, do this every time? Like he does, but he keeps doing it. He's he still does. doing it. Yeah, I know. <sighs> so, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what that has to do with setting. I mean, there's some setting stuff in there, but <laughs> now my brain is fried. Um, no, that's setting. That's a, a good introduction, I think, to setting. I think it's a good understanding of what all setting encompasses and yeah. how to think about the specific things that you yeah. want to think about when you're writing or looking yeah. at your books. I think for me, the takeaway and, and the, the attention given to setting is that as with everything, when you write, right, you have to be making choices. You have to be making choices about what to include, what to disinclude, what to bring uh, your narrative focus to. And I think that when you write things, you should be intentional about what this is contributing to your story. Yeah. It, it isn't necessary to spell out explicitly why this is relevant to your readers, but there should be an Im- implied relevance right, yeah. to the things that you include. And setting is one of those things that's very important to think about. I think a writer who does setting remarkably well for me to come back and, and ring this same bell is uh, Almakatsu. Yep. She absolutely And I does. think the reason why is because setting isn't just arbitrary. She's not giving us a Nazi werewolf story <laughs> just because she wants to include Nazis, right? She doesn't uh, set a, a, a paranormal book 
uh, in uh, the the Donner Party exp- <laughs> expedition, right? Um, arbitrarily, in in her case, these setting choices, uh, the the choice of time or time period, the choice of uh, location, right, is really significant to the overarching themes and the message of the books and it it informs the characters that she's writing they're meticulously researched yep and i think this is what lends her uh her stories you know um the the air of credulity that that they get you know i feel the same way about tracy cross and uh, her inclusion of or, or her setting of, of uh, root work mm-hmm. um, in Louisiana uh, in, you know, the, at the turn of the 19th century. Yep. Those choices impact the way that her characters talk, the way that her characters interact. And I think those choices are really meaningful in the creation of meaning, meaning with the reader. So... Don't just choose something arbitrarily, right? Put real time and effort into thinking about where am I putting this action and how is this bearing on the way that the characters interact with one another, the way that conflict is uh, created, is driven, is resolved. All of these things are important when you consider your setting. I know with the internet, I don't necessarily need these two books, but they are handy guides to have right at my disposal. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple of books that I always refer to. One is, this sounds so stupid, but it actually, it's along these lines. Um, trees, and shrubs of, uh, trees and Shrubs of North America. Sure. And the, yeah. the Birds and Wildlife of North America. Oh, there you go. Um, when I wrote my story that I, d- I published in the Arkansas Review called Men Like Trees, I yeah. reviewed and I researched uh, what lumber yards in the 1930s looked like. I right. reviewed what kind of um, what yeah. kind of automobiles were there, and, and reviewed what kind of houses were there. Um, you know, along with how people spoke, yeah. kind of the the vernacular of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? These things it seems arbitrary, but you know they matter. Yeah, they uh, absolutely matter. In the the novel that I'm working on, I have a character that. Um, he he uh, picks up some some dudes in the um the northeast and carries them down into the by, like via plane uh down into the caribbean and uh i had to look up like all right what what kind of plane is this guy flying in the time period mm-hmm. what actually was the like how 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 much fuel could one of these planes contain and and where would they set down and why is this important you know, again, because I, I, I need there to be a, a sense of verisimilitude to, yep. you know, the story. These these things do matter. They yep. do, uh, you know, play an impact on how your story is ultimately, use, uh, you know, kind of uh, understood. Use the Internet. There's so much information at our, at our fingertips There's now. There's so much. I mean, it's Trevor and I could tell you stories about easy. having to go to the library and just, like, search through, like, I remember, the shelves and card catalog. I and, remember, ha- well, I mean, at least there was a digital catalog when I yeah. was growing up. But I still remember having to um, figure out how to, you know, wh- what kind of search terms I got to yeah. use and uh, and how to, to work through the card catalog and I remember the microfiche and and having to <laughs> you know cycle through stuff in order to find the information that I want because it wasn't we didn't have you know I didn't grow up with Google but you know, it's out there the and in fact now we have Google Street View you know if I want to write <laughs> yeah. about Dracula's castle in Romania I can look at fucking Dracula's Dracula's yeah. castle and at in least Romania. get a yeah at <laughs> least get a, a good uh, sense of yeah. w- of what that place is like. Yeah, sure. yeah. So do the yeah. research. It's available there for you. The information's Man, out there. Hell. I mean, yeah. uh, Europe, at least Europe, um, some of those buildings have been there for literal centuries. Yeah. So if you really want to know what a, a cathedral, a, a medieval cathedral looks like, well, guess what? You can find one. Do you know how many times I've Googled architectural terms for medieval cathedrals? And learn probably what, like, way more than uh, most is, people is would be sensible. In. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know what a buttress is. Buttress, right. buttress, buttress. buttress. I just buttress. don't know how to pronounce it because I've only seen it in writing. <laughs> 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 I might have heard it a few times, but I've I've read it more than I've heard it. You know, it's one of those deals. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, it's yeah. a buttress. <laughs> <laughs> Pinkies up, pinkies up. It's a buttress. No, it's just a buttress. 
<laughs> a flying butress. It's a flying butress. No, it's a buttress, you pretentious asshole. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's our, our episode on setting. Yeah, I think we covered we a whole lot. <laughs> probably more than we should have. <laughs> I could probably edit a lot of this, but I won't. We won't. <laughs> um, you're welcome. You're welcome. Or maybe not. Maybe we hate you. Maybe, maybe this is just an elaborate prank. No, on we you. can't hate them because then if we tell them that, then they won't listen to the show. Oh yeah, that's true. No, we, <laughs> we love you. We absolutely love you. We love you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Come back to Jeremy's Midnight Hour later on. Don't we'll... do that. Okay, I won't. Slay House After our Hours is closed. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, we do love you. Uh, we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your. Hey, listen, I just finished. Uh, I think we all know my my website skills are just as good as my podcast scripting skills. Um, <laughs> I just finished, I think, a page of reviews for reviews for each of our books. Um, oh yeah, cool. And our interactions in the media. Yeah. So check out some of our reviews, and, and if you have uh, our books and have read us uh, and haven't left a review, review, yeah, leave us a review. We yeah. love reviews. All right. All right. That's hey everybody. It. Hey. Um, this episode of Slayhouse Publishing was brought to you, or Slayhouse Presents. Damn it, I still get it wrong. This episode of Slayhouse Presents is brought to you by the attorneys of Dewey, He Cheatham, and Howe. Um, oh, I'm going to do this every fucking episode now. I told him I would. Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Yeah. <laughs> How about this one? How about uh, the local 24-hour uh, engine service repair, Never Tire? He's shaking his head, folks. <laughs> um, we'll never get real sponsors this way. <laughs> These are our real sponsors. Shush. <laughs> don't give away the don't give away the farm. Hey, next time give me a script and we'll work it out. <laughs> All right. All right, bye.